two facts you must know before you draft your fantasy football team in the year 2022. Yes, these two nerds have been in the Google spreadsheets. They've been in the lab. They have been figuring out their projections, the computations, all of it while I've been in Paris. Hayden Winks is always going to join me. But up first, this time, it is Jared Smola from Draft Sharks. Jared, how you doing? Doing great. Happy to be on with you guys. Yeah, I'm, I'm a nerd, but I'm not as big of a nerd as Hayden is. Don't sell yourself short, Jared. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it. I know really the impetus, if that's the correct term to use in this, is from one of your columns. It's linked in the, down, in the description down below. You go and do these projections. You said right after the regular season, right after the Super Bowl, ahead of the NFL draft, back in, back in March. And these are kind of 32 facts and nuggets that popped into your brain as you went along that maybe – kind of define each and every team heading into the upcoming season yeah these are literally the things i learned doing our projections <laughs> for the season i just jotted them down mostly for myself but then yeah if people like them great perfect perfect hayden how are you i'm doing uh pretty damn well the thing that caught my eye with this column was halfway through it i was like learning all this stuff and then it was uh he got into the pro football reference nicknames a segment of the column yep. and that's why i was like yeah we got to get him on okay well let's do it we're gonna go team by team alphabetical order and jared that means we start off with the arizona cardinals as yeah, so a kind of an overarching nugget for the cardinals offense in general so last year the cardinals just 23rd in total pass rate but they were fourth in situation neutral pass rate, which basically throws out all the plays that were impacted by down and distance and, and game script, you know, score of the game. Um, so that just tells us this team wanted to pass a lot more than they did last season. Now the Cardinals ended up going 11 and six last year, and they just led a lot and that caused them to run more than I think they you know wanted to or planned to. So I think we should expect the Cardinals to throw it at least a little bit more this season. Yeah, the defense will not be nearly as good. They lost some dudes back there, and they were running pretty hot with like turnovers and some of those other metrics. It's a boom-bust defense, too, with how much they blitz. So if they are worse on defense and we see that they're fourth in neutral, uh, neutral situation pass rate, I think that we should expect enough passing volume for uh, DeAndre Hopkins potentially to return to wide receiver one status, and in the meantime, Marquise Brown's going to the moon. A couple Cardinals nuggets I've picked up. Uh, I see a lot of Chase Edmonds being referred to as the third down back last season. Hayden, we've talked about this a lot. I don't really see that that was the case. It was like between the 20s and inside the 20s. And they just learned that Rodney Hudson was returning this year. You know, he was a key player in figuring out their blocking seams, at least in the pass fronts, run blocking as well. We know that had been a sore spot for Cliff Kingsbury over the years. And I know he missed time and some snaps last season, but Rodney Hudson returning, I think, is a a little wrinkle that we need to pay attention to for a positive for the Cardinals. Okay. Jared, Jared just real quick, where, where are you projecting Rondell more? Like, do you think he's going to yes. be a full-time player or not? This is like something where I was kind of going back and forth with. I think he's got to be for the first six games of the season, right? Um, I what think about the after? Question, <laughs> the, yeah, the question is, you know, what do they kick? I mean, I guess, you know, Brown or Hopkins could kick into the slot. Um, but, man, I hope Rondell Moore is better than A.J. Green at this point of their career. So I'm I'm, I'm on the optimistic side for Rondell Moore, and he's going late enough under under drug drafts where he, he doesn't cost you a whole lot to, to take a shot on. He's one of those players I have to see it to believe it first. Okay. Atlanta Falcons, Jared. Yeah, nothing groundbreaking here, but Kyle Pitts had a really good rookie season. Uh, he had the third most receiving yards per game by a rookie tight end in NFL history. Also had the third most catches by a rookie tight end. Uh, he might have felt a little disappointing in fantasy because he scored just the one touchdown. You know, he was seventh and half PPR points. Um, but yeah, you know, one of the best rookie seasons we've ever seen by a tight end. I have Kyle Pitts projected for 5.5 touchdowns, and that's only on like a 4.5% touchdown yeah. rate, which is like league average. And we all know that Kyle Pitts is a above average player. So this is like, what's your 
like outlook on Marcus Mariota. I think Marcus Mariota is going to start for most of the season. I don't believe in third year rookie or uh, third round rookie quarterbacks. So I've, I'm pretty interested in like Drake London and Marcus Mariota. And then I'm less convinced about Kyle Pitts just because I can get George Kittle and Darren Waller around later. And I'm trying to punt that position in general, but I know Kyle Pitts is an absolute baller himself. Yeah, Jared, how do you feel about where Kyle Pitts is going? Because right now he's after that wide receiver 15 on underdog and DJ Moore, but he's in that mm-hmm. glut of running backs and the James Conner, Alvin Kamara, Travis Etienne. And then before, again, that next tier of wide receivers that include everyone from the Broncos, Marquise Brown, so on and so forth. Yeah, I haven't been taking a lot of pits. I think I'm kind of with Hayden here. Like, I definitely prefer Darren Waller around later because, I mean, what Pitts is going to have to score seven or eight times to pay off the ADP, isn't he? Unless we think he's going to catch like 100 yeah. balls. I mean, some of the running backs that are right next to him, like Alvin Kamara, James Conner, like these guys were like top 10 overall players like in the second half of last season. And I would just like rather pick them. I, I also get the feeling that we're never going to get a discount for Cal Pitts ever. Yeah. Not next season. Nor not should this we. Season, not five years. Say, we Nor should, should we. Yeah. And it's just different. I mean, he and Travis Kelsey are like true X receivers at the tight end position. And, you know, Mark Andrews kind of gets used in that area because so much is flowing over the middle of the field for that team. I just don't want to miss that breakout Cal Pitt season, you know, and we're already paying that price. Yep. Okay. Next up, Baltimore Ravens. Speaking of Mark Andrews, what's up with them? Yeah, big shift in play calling for the Ravens last year. They basically threw it on 44% of their snaps in Greg Roman's first two seasons as offensive coordinator. That spiked all the way to about 56.5% last year. Their situation neutral pass rate was also up quite a bit. So big question with Baltimore this year is, you know, what offense are they closer to? Last year's offense or the offense in Greg Roman's first two seasons? I think it's going to be closer uh, to last year's just because I'm not sold on what the running back health looks like. We got the report. Um, and I and I, I know that J.K. Dobbins refuted himself, and I'm not calling him a liar. I think that the players get optimistic, and Rap Sheet doubled down on it, and all of the other doctors are just talking about the multiple ligaments. And then Gus Edwards himself, we're not sure what his status is, been pretty quiet. So if either one of them are missing time or they're less effective than normal or just Rashad Bateman and Mark Andrews are just so damn good, I think that the Ravens' best path is a, a pretty balanced approach and not like the super run-heavy approach from two years two years ago. Hey, let me ask you this, because we haven't seen any movement with Gus Edwards. We're going to see some movement with J.K. Dobbins and his ADP. Should we see an uptick for Gus Edwards at, at running back 49? Because it's one of those situations where, obviously, you had the injury last training camp for J.K. Dobbins. Gus Edwards in a smash spot, then that didn't happen either. I think they've invested in him very heavily, but it's these same question marks, albeit a different injury of, but when are we going to get him back? When are we going to see yeah, his timeline is like right up against like the projected. He could be available week one. I think we'll learn more at the beginning of training camp. The headliner is always going to be J.K. Dobbins because he's like the presumed like 60% back. Do you think we're already paying for the breakout for Rashad Bateman, Jared? Wide receiver 26? Not if Hayden's right and if the Ravens throw it around, you know, 56% of the time. I think there's plenty of room. If they go back, you know, sub 50, then I think it it's tough to find him enough targets to, to really beat that price tag. I think he can still, you know, match that ADP, give you fair value, but he, he needs Baltimore to stay on, you know, on the pass heavier side. Just a reminder, we have an entire clip on Rashad Bateman. No, Hayden just tweeted out the highlights. I mean, he's what, so 13 good. of his four, first 14 catches in the league went for first downs. He's like a remarkable player. He's so much fun. Um, and as you all know, Lamar Jackson led the NFL in passing touchdowns just a couple seasons ago. So if you haven't checked out all of those clips, go and check them out on the rest of the channel. Smash subscribe is the best way to do that. Buffalo Bills next, Jerry. Well, we obviously need some Gabe Davis talk, right? Like no yes, podcast we do. complete without Gabe Davis talk. So we actually have 14 career games where Davis has played at least 70% of the Bills offensive snaps. In those games, he's averaged 
6.2 targets, 3.6 catches, about 54 yards and 0.8 touchdowns. So those numbers would have made him the wide receiver 25 last year and half PPR points per game. If you want to throw out the Chiefs game, which I you know think we shouldn't do because he should get credit for having a you know one of the best playoff games in NFL history. But if we do that, the numbers drop to 5.9 targets, 3.2 catches, 47 yards, and half a touchdown per game. Those numbers would have made him wide receiver 42 and half PPR points per game last year. My current rankings have Gabe Davis or my projections have him as the wide receiver 26, which is right in line with what you just said. And that's assuming that Steph Diggs plays the entire season. What happens if Steph Diggs gets injured? Like we'd be ranking him so damn high. So I think that Gabe Davis right now, like it doesn't seem like his median is like a fourth, fifth round pick. But I actually think if you're starting to do the projections, see how how many plays this team runs, it's hard not to give both Dawson Knox and Gabe Davis a pretty damn good projection. Hayden, the most shocking part of our wide receiver ranking show was that we were above ADP on, on Gabe Davis. And I, there's been mm-hmm. so much discourse over the last month on him just on Twitter. And I think it loses sight when you focus solely on past production for Gabe Davis because he didn't turn into a full-time player, a what, 60-plus, 70-plus percent snap player until week 14 of last year. And it's because you can easily track how the team has set him up for success this year in comparison to the last two years, because they knew at the end of 2020 when his catch rate was abysmal that he just wasn't ready. And so that's why they brought in Manny. That's why they, you know, kept Cole Beasley. Now they had no competition brought in like the bills. It's a runway. It's clear. And so we should just buy into their belief, their internal evaluation and the offense as a whole of, they know that Gabe is ready and it's just a completely different discourse even though the production might be the same versus what we should see from playing time wise from week one and on. So that's why I'm so in on Gabe Davis in comparison, just looking at his raw stats. Jerry, where do you have uh, Dawson Knox ranked? Because if, if you are anti Gabe Davis, you better be drafting Dawson Knox like literally oh, yeah. every single time. Like there, there is enough room for two absolute yeah. superstars in fantasy in this offense. What are your, what's your general outlook on Dawson? Yeah. So I have, I have Dawson Knox tight end nine in half PPR. I have Gabriel Davis uh, wide receiver 28 and half PPR. I'm definitely in on them both. I mean, the only way Gabe Davis can fail is if he loses that starting job. If he's not good. Who, who's going to take it from him? It's, it would have to be uh, Cleo Shakur, right? Yep. Yeah, they're way too tiny. Yeah. yeah, way too tiny. So I, I think his floor is higher than a lot of people give him credit for. One final thought on Dawson Knox. Hayden, we had this conversation in the tight end show with Dalton Schultz and how like all of that production might not match the talent because Dalton Schultz kind of looks like a middling talent. Dawson Knox looks like a superstar when playing out there, just like how he moves and how his usage and where, you know, he lines up in comparison where fantasy points are scored. So uh, fun, fun, fun player. Okay. Buffalo Bills. We go from that positivity to the uh, potential negativity of the Carolina Panthers. Yeah. DJ Moore just can't score touchdowns for whatever reason. He has a 4.9% touchdown rate over the past three seasons. League-wide average for wide receivers over that span is 7.8%. So, you know, Mortis hasn't been able to find the end zone. That, I, I'd be curious to get Hayden's thoughts on this, but I think a lot of that is just bad luck. Like I think a player of his caliber is going to start scoring touchdowns, even if the Panthers' offense isn't great. Yeah, I have him at 5.2% touchdown rate, and I think you can make an argument that could go up higher. I have him projected for 6.7 touchdowns just because I think that he's going to get even a larger share of the offense. I think that the floor of this offense is much higher with Baker Mayfield, and um, I, I liked your nugget here about Ben McAdoo, how uh, – three of his four uh, offenses with the giants were top four in situation neutral pace. I can see some of that uh, rebounding, especially with the offensive line looking better. I think that the Panthers actually project pretty damn well. I was going to ask you just how high do you have Christian McCaffrey projected on a per game basis? My projections, I have them out dueling 
uh, Jonathan Taylor straight up on a per game basis. If you want to be the injury bro, go ahead. But I think like you're actually doing projections. It's really hard to make the projections work without Christian McCaffrey looking like a total stud. Yeah, I'm trying to pull up my per game stuff. I, I know I have McCaffrey one in full PPR. I'll vamp yeah, for you, Jared. I'll vamp for you. Look, DJ Moore to me is one of those players who obviously has had, what, four straight years of just four touchdowns, and that's it. And we asked this exact same question. Do, like, his traits and talents just not translate to a condensed field? Because we know he's so great over the middle of the field. My yeah. point, though, is really your second one, and I keep closing this, but I'll bring it back up. As Hayden just outlined with Ben McAdoo, the fast-paced offense, I think it's going to be some short to intermediate receptions as well. And that could really turn into some positivity, some yards after the catch where he really shines with DJ Moore. So just hopefully an improvement with quarterback play equals more production in the red zone inside the 10-yard line. That's never been even from an earning targets, quote-unquote, standpoint for DJ Moore, where he's really thrived in the past, where I don't know if true regression is going to hit there in a positive way. Yeah, definitely should get more plays from the Panthers this season. And Baker Mayfield is an upgrade over Sam Darnold. Like, you might be going from bad to below average or bad to average, but it's it's still an upgrade for the offense. Okay, number six, Chicago Bears. Khalil Herbert, you know, rookie Khalil, what was he, sixth-round rookie Khalil Herbert, beat David Montgomery in yards per carry, yards after contact per carry, missed tackles forced per carry, and pro football focus rushing grade last season. And we have a new coaching staff in Chicago this this year so you know but i think there's a chance herbert takes more from montgomery than than he did last year i know Khalil herbert's good at the game there's a couple uh plays against the packers in particular if you guys want to go back and watch that where he was like looking like a pretty damn good player i i struggle with this one because david montgomery over like the last 10 games of the season he was second in my expected uh half ppr points because of his usage like they really love to give David Montgomery the ball. Uh, like you said, that was with a different coaching staff, so there is a little bit lower of a floor for David Montgomery. But if his usage basically repeats like last year, even if this yeah. Bears team is bad, I think that he's going to still pay off this ADP in like round five. And one of the first shows we did this offseason was flipping ADPs. And at that time, Khalil Herbert was going as running back 52 versus like the other elite running back insurance like Alexander Madison. Uh, he's only moved up one spot this, since then, so I don't know if we really have a, a pulse on you know, the, the fantasy football cognizante, but Speak for yourself, <laughs> but I absolutely love Cleo Herbert. He legit is really good. And as you outlined, he averaged what 22 carries per game. I understand not wanting to bank in on the, the bears as a whole, but he is individually talented. And if you can get someone who has a track, even with a new coaching staff, a new staff behind the scenes, um, it's pretty clear that they believe after, you know, self-evaluating the roster that Cleo Herbert's the guy because they didn't bring anyone in for competition, right? So I'm totally with you. He's still going again as running back 51. That's right around the range of the Kenneth Gainwells, Darrell Williams, Marlon Max of the world. I'm all in at that price. All right, we go. Chicago Bears to, I believe, number seven. That's the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, I'm going to cheat here and, and do two, but I think they, you know, they kind of go together. You. So <laughs> the, the Bengals last year, just 25th in the NFL in offensive snaps per game, 61 and a half offensive snaps per game. That was down from 65.6 and 65 plays per game in Zach Taylor's first two seasons as head coach. So I think that's going to rebound. I think we're going to get more plays out of the Bengals this season. And then the situation neutral pass rate, just 51 and a half percent through week 15 last year. That was middle of the league, 15th. From week 16 through the Super Bowl, that spiked to 59% situation neutral pass, which would have been near the top of the league. So I think we're going to get more plays and more passing from this Bengals offense this season. 
Yeah, they were what probably a bottom five offensive line last year. I think you can make an argument that they're a better than average offensive line at this point. So yeah, the they can kind of do whatever. I think the only thing is we're going to hear the storyline of the cover two with this offense. But I think even with that, you're going to get peppered targets to T Higgins and Jamar Chase. Like you said, I think they're going to run more, more plays in general. This is one of those where it's so easy to point out like where regression is going to happen in terms of just watching Jamar Chase, just watching T Higgins, yep. just watching these shots that they created and, and manufactured last year better than anyone else. But then when you factor in your head, well, the offensive line is so much better. Like you go literally from the worst to average at worst and how the trust from like the top down, like this is the multiple sections of your fantasy football brain, Jared, that I think need to work in unison to like try to figure out, well, if this comes down a little bit, but this is elevated, then what's the outcome here? You know what I'm saying? Exactly. It's funny you say that because I went into this offseason thinking I was going to kind of be out on the Bengals passing game because their efficiency stuff and their touchdown, all that stuff, the touchdown rates were all so high last year but then i looked into this you know with the passing rate and the offensive plays and i i just have burrow projected for so many more passes than me through last year that kind of you know that kind of lifts the tide of everyone okay so that was the first one. Second one? Oh, that was, that was both of them the, the offensive plays plus the pass rate got it okay cleveland browns all right here's my um david and joku propaganda here Love yes. it. He's, he's like you. my he's like my favorite late round tight end so under Kevin Stefanski, the last two years, Browns tight ends have combined for 27.8% of the team's targets and then 27.3% of the team's targets. League-wide average tight end target share is 20%. So this offense has, you know, peppered the tight ends. That You know, there's different personnel there this year. Hooper's gone. Amari Cooper comes in. So maybe the target share to tight ends drops a bit. But I, I still think there's a big opportunity for, you know, David Njoku to, to capture a, a big piece of this team's uh, targets. He's like a true every down player to me. He's not just like some like slot tight end. Like he's so damn athletic that you put him in the slot and he's actually dangerous out there, but he's not going to be coming off the field. Uh, Harrison Bryant's a, a great number two, but he is a number two. The depth at the wide receiver position is not that strong. We like some of the names, but uh, Mary Kay Cabot, uh, who covers the Browns perfectly, she was saying that this is like David Njoku's year. Like they're expecting a huge breakout. That's why they paid him so much money. And this is like an organization that's been betting on David Njoku. And I think we we should be expecting a late career breakout for David Njoku because he came in the league. What Josh was like 20 years old. Oh, yeah. Um, so I think this is like the perfect season to start betting on him. Three or four late round tight ends hit last year. It's just kind of the ones we didn't predict. Um, David Njoku is <laughs> my favorite. Sounds like just like yours, Jared, because he plays at the position kind of differently than anyone else. Like the yeah. yards after catch on screens he's fantastic and then he's truly like a big play machine when attacking vertically down the field and other than rob gronkowski who is officially retired uh his adp has dropped the most of any tight end over the last month which is crazy to think about so maybe we can turn that around and i understand it's because the redacted quarterback um but i still think even with jacoby Brissett, where he's going as tight end 21 david and joku is is a, a a pretty good pick at that spot yeah i love him there okay cleveland browns Check. Dallas Cowboys up next. Yeah, Cowboys top two in pace and situa- situation neutral pace in all three seasons under offensive coordinator Callum Moore. And that, th- those are football outsider stats, just you know, basically how many plays per second you're running. Um, and because of that, the Cowboys have finished sixth, second, and second in offensive plays under Callum Moore. So it's a, it's a high-volume offense, which, which we love in fantasy. 
yeah, the question becomes like, how do you project the rest of the skill group? Like Michael Gallup's projection, I, I have him missing the first like four, five, six weeks of the season. Is it yep. Jalen Tolbert? Is it Julio Jones? Because they have the second most available cap space. Is it James Washington who makes less than the BBM three winner? Like who absorbs all of this uh, play volume? Because I'm with you. Like to me, I was like, why is CeeDee Lamb the 13th overall player on underdog? And then like, I sat there and did the projections. I'm like, well, they ran all these plays, and Dak Prescott's pretty damn good, so I think you have to give him a bolt of it. Dalton Schultz is tied in six as well. Let's like take a moment here, because we're going so quickly, I do appreciate it. Let's take a moment and like think into the future and say, maybe one of the players that could see the biggest fluctuation in ADP when we get to training camp and preseason games is Jalen Tolbert. Like If he looks good and looks really solid in the first one or two preseason contests, then you could see him launch, I think, up underdog fantasy drafts because we know rookies we know big plays in preseason and we know everyone wants a piece of whoever the other wide receiver is with michael gallup injured next to cd lamb and that's how he wins like downfield all it takes is like preseason week two he makes <laughs> a 40 yard touchdown like all of a sudden everyone's gonna go crazy is ben danucci still the backup quarterback i mean if so <laughs> we have some starting experience there maybe he can you know fire some shots downfield i don't think it is ben danucci i think it's cooper rush is who oh, i would predict for yeah, yeah. Cooper Rush sounds one of like your groomsmen, groomsmen, Hayden. I mean, stop it. I want I want to see what your groomsmen look like. <laughs> okay, we go from the Dallas Cowboys, uh, and I have an irrational amount of Tony Pollard this year too, even though I'm not anti Zeke. To the uh, mysterious, some might say, Denver Broncos. Yeah, and this wide receiver core. I mean, there's you know a lot of directions it can go. I'm interested to see what it looks like this summer. But I mean, Cortland Sutton just disappeared after you know Judy came back from his high ankle sprain. Last year, so over the final nine games with Judy, Cortland Sutton averaged just 3.9 targets per game on a 13.4% target share. Judy easily beat Sutton in target share over that span, 18.8%. Even Tim Patrick had 17.6% of Denver's targets over that game. Now, you know, Sutton had some big games with, with Judy sidelined early in the season, but man, um, how he produced over the second half of the season is is, is a little scary to me. What what's so strange about this is Jerry Judy is coming back with a high ankle sprain. Cortland Sutton, remember Josh? We were posting the videos of like Cortland yes. Sutton's rehab in like August. Where like this doesn't really look all that great to me too. So this is like to me the big thing that's ungoing to unlock this is is Jerry Judy in two wide receiver sets because they were using Tim Patrick, who's much biz- bigger, more physical as the second uh, starter in the red zone. If Jerry Judy is not in that, I think I'm going to be all in on Tim Patrick at cost. If Jerry Judy does slide into two wide receiver sets, which I'm basically like flipping a coin, I can see it going either way. Then I think you can start justifying Jerry Judy's uh, price tag. I think Cortland Sutton's the safest because I know he's going to be the X receiver, just going to be out there every single snap. Um, but I think, the, I like you said in, in that uh, stat right there, I think that you can make an argument that Jerry Judy's ceiling is a little bit higher than Cortland Sutton's. And we have Cortland Sutton as wide receiver 17 going on underdog fantasy right now. Jerry Judy is wide receiver 22. I think that's dipped a little bit from wide receiver 20 and wide receiver 19. So they're kind of going in opposite directions there. Uh, and Tim Patrick at wide receiver 53. By the way, we keep mentioning best ball drafts on underdog fantasy. If you aren't doing that right now, Jared, I don't know how people are spending their summers. You know, maybe it's outside. But guess what? Even if you are drinking some seltzer, some margaritas by the pool, you can do some underdog fantasy drafts just on your phone. It's the easiest way to do it. Word on the street is that you had uh, you were doing a best ball draft during that engagement photo. Shoot. I was no, no, no. <laughs> I, I truly. We have those slow drafts going and employees only. And I was staring up at the Eiffel Tower, and then boom, my turn on the clock. And you're you're <laughs> able to enter them here. And if you're traveling to Paris or Brussels or Barcelona, 
you can just make all the picks while on the train or on the road as well. It's the best thing to do. Underdog do not accuse underdog. me of Josh. I'm not doing underdog drafts. I'm doing plenty of those. <laughs> Good to know. Okay. We've done 10. We've got 22 teams left and it's uh, everyone's favorite sleeper and underdog, the Detroit Lions. And you've probably heard this. I'm on raw St. Brown stat split before, but you know, first 11 games of the season, just 4.7 targets on a 13.6% target share. Final six games of the season, 11.2 targets per game on a 31.9% target share. TJ Hawkinson and or DeAndre Swift were out for those six games. But it was it was just you know massive volume for St. Brown. I have Amon Ra projected for 20% targets over the course of the season. Maybe I can bump that up a little bit. But even with that, he comes out as the wide receiver 30, which is at his ADP. He's just yep. a really good player, and they're going to scheme him up touches. Um, I do want to make a quick note that I keep seeing this from every single Lions reporter, and even Peter King had it in his column, that Jameson Williams, they are projecting him to miss a bulk of the season, not just like the first uh, a couple weeks. They uh, Peter King thought that after – Thanksgiving that makes him like not undraftable because there's still a couple of weeks in the finals where you're going to be betting on, but the player to be drafting right now is DJ shark. They gave him $10 billion and I had to look that up and I, that was more money than I was expecting him oh. to get paid. He is that X receiver downfield threat, better in best ball type of player. And I think that he's the name here that I think I need to bump his projections up. I think that his ADP is probably like 40, yeah. 50 spots too low. Absolutely love that. I mean, he's going as wide receiver 70 Chark is. Then that's in comparison to Jameson Williams as wide receiver 61. Amon Ra as wide receiver 29. Hayden, in the future, we are going to do a making the case for players no one wants to make the case for. And DJ Chark is, is absolutely one of those those names based on what you just outlined. So, Jared, did, was DJ Chark popping in any of your projections at all? Or? Yeah, I haven't, I haven't ranked like 10 spots higher than his ADP is. Okay, um, I just I, he he's just, he's just not a good fit with Jared Goff, though, right? Because mm-hmm. Chark does his best work downfield, and Goff doesn't want to throw it downfield. He's not really good when he does. So that's my only argument against him. But at wide receiver 70, I mean, he's he should be a nearly you know, full-time player in that offense. I think he's a pretty easy pick. Yeah, I'm right. hoping Goff improves just because the offensive line looks so much better. Yeah, yeah it's, it, it should be a good O-line for sure. NFC North, we stick in it from the Detroit Lions over to the Green Bay Packers. So I wanted to look at how uh, touches were divvied between Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon in the games that Jones was healthy. You know, Jones missed two games and got knocked out in the, I think it was the second quarter of a third. But in their 14 healthy games together, um, it was 11.7 carries per game to for Aaron Jones to 10.1 for A.J. Dillon. Uh, targets, Jones basically doubled up Dillon in targets, 4.2 to 2.0. Then it was close as far as like goal line carries. Carries inside the opponent's five-yard line, eight for Aaron Jones to seven for AJ Dillon. Yeah, this is like the thing I keep debating because we haven't seen the Dillon flipping quite yet at the goal line, but I can see it happening in year three. I have AJ Dillon projected for seven rushing touchdowns, Aaron Jones only five, but at the same time, I have Aaron Jones projected for three receiving touchdowns because they scheme him up down yeah. there. So that's like the thing in preseason. Are we going to see these two uh, at the goal line? Because I think that's going to make Basically, is Aaron Jones, does he have first round potential? And if he isn't the goal line back, I'm not sure if he does, uh, even though that his receiving projection looks as good as it gets right now. And the unanswerable question that I need heading into uh, 2022 is who's going to see the targets inside the 20 and inside the 10 for the Packers? Because as we know, Devontae Adams was second inside the 20 last season, I believe tied for second uh, with Stefan Diggs inside the 10. And is that just going to be Alan Lazard? It might. Randall Cobb, I think, was second on that team last year in it. Maybe Robert Tunyon. Who the hell knows? Are they just going to run the ball every single time that they have three or four downs to do it? Um, it's just going to look totally different. And like, 
Aaron Rodgers is running an Aaron Rodgers offense along with LaFleur, but like I love these running backs. I just need someone to fill the shoes, the gigantic shoes that Devontae Adams has, and I, it's impossible to do. Julio Jones. <laughs> it could be. It really should be. <laughs> That'd be fun. It really should be. Okay, Green Bay Packers, done. Houston Texans, up next. Yeah, tough to find a whole lot to you know write about the, the Texans. <laughs> you have I mean, one. I mean, this Cooks, is the shortest blurb of the entire <laughs> column, which you can find. <laughs> that's, that's all I had. That's all I had. But, I mean, Brandon Cooks remains a value. Um, 23.1 and 25.8% target shares in his first two seasons with the Texans. I think he's going to be right around there again this year because it's still Nico Collins on the other side. John Mechie, you know, maybe he makes an impact over the second half of the season. But, you know, Cooks is going to dominate targets for this team again. Yeah, I don't see why John Mechie would not be in like the same boat as Jamison Williams considering they tore their knees like back-to-back. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think that Nico Collins projects pretty well as like a late-round candidate. And then I think Brandon Cooks, should be fine. And there's like a chance that Jimmy G goes to this offense. I'm not like projecting that, but they're, I think the quarterback play is at least functional uh, enough to get Brandon cooks the ball. Just to pull back the fantasy football content um, curtain here a little bit. Hayden, when we did our conversation, had our conversation on wide receiver sleepers, I got all amped because we've seen Nico Collins move from like around 18 <laughs> to around 17 to around 15 pick. And I still think, I want to select him there. Uh, so I, I got really excited to talk about him on that show. And then I see freaking Adam Levitan saying he could reach a thousand yards this season. And so, you know, when you put out, yeah, you wow. know, when you put out like a comment, you're like, man, not many people are putting this because he's going way too late. Then you just get trumped by an outlandish statement. That's what happened <laughs> to us. Back in hey, the bowl. Where's, where's, where's Nico's ADP now? Has it climbed since that? Bold, oh, bold prediction. We, we need to uh, we need to update at that. Maybe that's like a self serving you know cycle that they have because obviously ETR does an ADP update show and then he just needs some content with the Nico Collins one thousand yards <laughs> receipt. It was a bold nice. prediction, but I just had to throw that in there. Okay, from your one column or one nugget on the Houston <laughs> Texans, you have seventeen on the Indianapolis Colts. <laughs> I think one of those is Carson Wentz too, right? Um, that was, yes. that was this, before he was before he this was is straight, the best so. one though yeah <laughs> i love that one <laughs> yeah it was, it was basically carson Wentz was bad last year right that was, yeah that i mean it says what <laughs> 28th out of 31 uh qualifying quarterbacks in in pffs yeah. adjusted completion percentage and i just yeah. basically i was like damn it michael Pittman projects really good he's my wide receiver yeah. eight in projections man like i have a 24 percent target share to him i'm not betting on paris campbell eating up too much of them just because i can't really bet on him too much like the tight ends they've been like messing with like jack doyle and those guys i don't think like yeah. any of those guys actually project that well including mo alley cox so like if matt ryan is as good as he was last year that is an upgrade when it comes to accuracy big time here i think that michael Pittman is a certified baller matt Harmon is really pumping these michael Pittman bags and i can't disagree as a trojan alum yeah, the, the Pittman one was actually the one I had here. You got to scroll down one more, I think, Josh. But um, Michael Pittman, among 90 receivers with 50-plus targets last season, he was 19th in both yards per outrun and PFF receiving grade. So I agree. I think I think he's a stud, and he's set up to see a big target share. I, actually, I haven't projected for uh, 25% of the Colts' targets this season. Yeah, as, as a longtime supporter of Matt Harmon through the backyard banter days, uh, I don't know if he's talked more about <laughs> a wide receiver this early in their career uh, since Allen Robinson and the Jaguars. So yep. uh, I'm in 100% in, and he's going right around both those Chargers wide receivers and, and Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. Sometimes he goes before at both, sometimes he goes after both, but that's a very intriguing conversation to have when you're on the clock in all three 
are there. Now DJ Moore is being thrust in that tier, but that's a conversation for another day. Okay. Jacksonville Jaguars up next. The belief. What level of belief should we have, Jared? Oh, they're they're my Jags. I'm all in on this team, um, <laughs> and they're, they're they're so cheap on underdog, which I love. But yep. um, I mean, the biggest reason I'm in on them is because Urban Meyer is gone. Doug Peterson's in. I think one of the impacts there is going to be more plays for this Jags offense. They were 29th in the NFL last year, just 60 and a half offensive plays per game. All five of Doug Peterson's offenses when he was with Philly finished top eight in plays per game. They averaged 67 plays per game. So you could be getting you know five, six, seven more plays per game from Jacksonville this season, which is which is huge. Yeah, this was a great nugget. Uh, it makes me uh, believe in Christian Kirk even more. I think there's going to be another wide receiver that is going to be viable in best ball. I think we can flip a coin between Marvin Jones and Zay Jones. And I think that just the play volume here is another reason to be betting on Evan Ingram. I'm talking about like David Njoku. Evan Ingram's another late round tight end. I think some of these, when I was doing my projections for these like t- late tight end twos, I mean, man, they project pretty damn well to me compared to previous seasons. So uh, after going through the projections, I'm even more in on this like three late round tight ends in best ball. Hayden, I feel like, well, one, we spend way too much time together, but there are <laughs> moments where I, I have a comment, like when something first happens, like when Evan Ingram signed, you're like, I don't care. Like who should care about this? And now we get here to late July and you're like, oh, I'm in on Evan Ingram. I love it. I love when this happens. I think was I let's rewind the tape. I, I don't want to hear this. I think I was fine on Evan Ingram. I mean, he's like what the tight end 18. I'm just saying buy in there. Well, one comment on Christian Kirk, and this might sound really dumb, Jared, but I kind of feel like the bubble we live in gets so focused on oh, the Jaguars overspent on wide receivers that that clouds a little bit of well, we really shouldn't care about how much they spent and just the improvement because where Christian Kirk's going, it's wide receiver 41. It's in the Al Lazard, Michael Thomas, Kadarius Tony, Brandon Ayuk, MVS. Absolutely. Like, I'll take him a few spots above that. Yeah, the, the Jags overspent on Christian Kirk, but that's a good thing in fantasy. That means right. they're going to be trying to give him the football. Like, I, I I, don't think he's a great player, but I like this offense, and I think he's going to get enough targets to easily beat his ADP. And we love how Trevor Lawrence is hyper-aggressive throwing down the field, and we know as a vertical slot player, Christian Kirk's fantastic in that area. Okay, Jacksonville Jaguars down. Kansas City Chiefs, huge changes. Jared, what do you expect? Yeah. Yeah, so it was a disappointing second season for Clyde Edwards-Alaire, obviously. Um, you know, the efficiency was down. The volume was down, too. He averaged 13.9 carries and 4.3 targets per game in healthy games as a rookie. That was down to 12.9 carries and 2.5 targets per game last year. I don't know how much we blame on the, uh, what was it, the gall- gallbladder surgery? Had yes. him down like 160 pounds. I mean... I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not giving up on the guy, but it's, it's been a disappointing start to his career. Yeah. I don't know how to handle these projections. Uh, I have him barely out carrying Ronald Jones and then barely out targeting Jarek McKinnon, which makes his projection pretty yeah. mediocre. I was like the RB 30, which is like in line with ADP. I think this is going to be one of these bigger storylines. We'll, we'll learn more in training camp as a reminder that Ronald Jones did not get that much money. So like, I'm pretty hesitant to give him too much of a projection. I think he's like making like, $1.3 million or something yeah. like that only. My, my biggest concern with CEH is the inside the 10-yard carries because what ever since his second game of his rookie season, he hasn't seen many of those opportunities. And Ronald Jones has had far, far more in that same span. I mean, 16 and 22 carries inside the 10-yard line for CEH since that first since that second week of his rookie season. So Jared, I mean, real quick, just I, I think we can look back at the end of the season. There's like a simulation that plays out where we're like were we really betting against the first round Chiefs running back that's because true. Ronald Jones and a 31 year old Jarek McKinnon who's not been able to stay healthy? Like that's like where I'm like, I know, 
I, I think I have to be somewhat in just because like that simulation, like that yeah. was like a, a sentence that actually could make some sense here. Yeah. And Everett Slater doesn't even have to be good. He just has to be better than Ronald Jones and Jarek McKinnon to be on the field for this Chiefs offense, right? Like Andy Reid has always produced strong fantasy backs. The offensive line's still awesome. Um, he, he doesn't need to be great. He just needs to be good enough. Pitch to you, Jared. What if this is a James Conner, Chase Edmonds situation in 2022 with between the 20s at CEH, inside the 20s, it's Ronald Jones? Could be. That'd be going against how Andy Reid usually deploys his backfield. True. He tends to like a single guy, but that could definitely change with this personnel. And I, I mean, in that case, these guys both could pay off, right? Yeah. Like, you know, what if what if Edwards Alaire gets, you know, 200 carries and 40 targets and then Jones scores 10 touchdowns and they could both pay off, so. Las Vegas Raiders, we now have Derek Carr, Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller, 100 backs in the backfield. What are we looking at? Yeah, so Renfro, um, I looked at his splits with and without Darren Waller last season. So he averaged 8.3 targets per game on a 23% target share in the seven games that Waller missed all or most of last season. That dropped to 7.4 targets per game on a 19% target share in the other 11 games. So that that's already a concern for Renfro. And then, of course, you have Devontae Adams arriving too. So, you know, it's, it's going to be tough for Renfro to, you know, come close to the type of volume he saw last year. There was even some splits with Hunter Renfro with Henry Ruggs, who's like not like a target dominator like uh, Devontae Adams is. I was looking at my projections, and man, the people aren't going to like this one. Derek Carr right now currently projects for the six most passing yards in my projections. Chocolate swirl, no longer vanilla soft serve. Yeah, Jared, to me, the thing that stood out was I think Devontae Adams was ninth in the league last year in slot targets, and Hunter Renfro was 10th. And then they were both top 10 or top five or top seven and targets inside the 20 and inside the 10 as well. Like something's got to give in that department. And I'm going to hedge and bet on Devonte Adams getting more opportunities in those areas than uh, Hunter Renfro. Yeah. So he'll get, he'll get more uh, end zone looks. I, I guess what we're hearing out of Vegas is that Adams has been playing most on the outside. Yeah. So that, that's going to, that's going to be Renfro in the slot. Uh, Hayden, I also have Derek Carr for the sixth most passing yards in the NFL. Wow. <laughs> it's happening. The reason, like you said, Josh, he, he is a downfield passer now. Like he was not yeah. doing that last year. He did it. Now he has a better, even a better, I mean, he was doing that for Zay Jones, you know, yeah. like now he has like Devonte Adams and Darren Waller running down the scene. Like I think, I think they project very well. You work in the same laboratory, you two. Okay. We still stick in the AFC West and go on over to the Los Angeles Chargers who we're all in on. Oh, yeah. They're an easy team to bet on. There's just so much continuity from last year, right? Like, it's the same offense, basically. It's just Gerald Everett in for for Jared Cook. Um, So I'm going to go with two again here, both with these top two wide receivers. So Keenan Allen's yards per route run has declined now every season since 2017. It was down to 1.78 yards per route run last year. Now, that that was still 30th among 90 qualifying wideouts. So it's it's not like the guy's washed up, but I do think, you know, he's he's, he's on the decline. Michael Williams, on the other hand, beat Keenan Allen in both yards per route run and PFF receiving grade last year. His yards per route run, Williams, um, set a career high in yards per route run last year. So these guys seem to be like heading in different directions to me. I'm not sure it's going to be the year that, you know, Mike Williams overtakes Allen as the top dog here, but it definitely wouldn't shock me. I have Keenan edging him in targets barely, but I have Mike Williams as my wide receiver 11 per game projections and Keenan Allen's nice. the wide receiver 17. Whenever I'm on the clock and I'm debating one of those two, I might have like, less than 5% Keenan Allen. I'm going to be overweight on Mike Williams. I think, like you said, they're trending in the opposite directions. And Mike Williams is like a better and best ball king, just the way that yes. they use them. And, and okay. the half PPR and underdog definitely helps Mike Williams. Oh, yeah. Los Angeles Chargers, 
Jumping over to the Los Angeles Rams, Super Bowl champions, as we know. Big addition in Allen Robinson. And uh, I don't know if you're going to talk about this. I feel like we still need to nail down exactly what K-Makers is in 2022. But go ahead with your point. Yeah, K-Makers is a tough one. I find him tough to pass on when he gets to like the fourth round of these underdog drafts. But um, I mean, so the show was top four, top five last season yeah. and carries inside the 20. And we're like not factoring in that at all with K-Makers. Anyways, don't mean to cut you off. Well, he's he's getting punished for the fact that he came back so early from the Achilles right. and you know did not look good. But Totally. Um, all right, so I'm going with here. 80% of the Rams' offensive touchdowns last season came in the passing game. NFL average is around 63% of offensive scores are passing touchdowns. And in Sean McVay's first four seasons, the Rams didn't exceed 62% of their scores being passing. So I just think, and some of that is you, you get Matt Stafford, you get a quarterback upgrade, you, you might throw more passing touchdowns versus runs. But I do think there's going to be some swing back as far as, you know, more of the Rams touchdowns coming on the ground this season. Yeah, this might have been my favorite nugget in this entire call. And that is like absurd amount of like regression coming potentially uh, and towards Cam Akers or I guess Daryl Henderson. I think this is an offense where you can be betting on either one of those running backs in different builds. Um, I'm with you. Cam Akers has like top 12 uh, ceiling. Jordan Rodri, who covers the athletic, she was predicting that it is going to be Cam Akers. The, the Rams are hopeful it's going to be Cam Akers. Cam Akers definitely thinks he's going to be the guy. And they, she even mentioned like the passing game. So like we're talking about the goal line touchdowns. They think they want to get the running backs more involved in the pass game. Look at the, like who they had last year. Sonny Michelle is not going to be out there catching too many passes. That's what Cam Akers was like good at as a prospect and as like a rookie. And I've read the nugget that they want Kyron Williams to eventually take over for Daryl Henderson's role as well. Cause I know a bunch of people are pivoting on over to wow. Daryl Henderson if they don't believe in, in Cam Akers, which mm -hmm. makes sense, especially from the pass pro standpoint. Cause we know that's what Kyron did best at Notre Dame and taking this full circle. Here, Jared, back to your comment. What stands out to me with the passing touchdowns, no one threw more inside the 10, inside the 5 than the Los Angeles Rams. We know that Odell had 12 targets inside the 10 last season. He had eight touchdowns because he's that isolated wide receiver, whereas Cooper Cup is you know, mostly stacked or in the slot on the front side. And if he's that iso ball player, if he wins big and small just like Odell did, then Allen Robinson, especially where he's going, I know it's rich. I know it's a lot higher than where he showed last season. But I, I can't pass on him. I truly can't. Like, I need a lot of Allen Robinson in my life this summer. Yeah, I think he's fairly priced. I'm just giving him a mulligan for last year. I, don't, I mean, the guy's not even 30 yet. I don't think he he, he can't be done, can he? No. no I mean, when I watched him, I thought he was able to move. Like, I think this, like, storyline that he was washed and, like, not trying is very overblown. The way they were, they were using him, like, throwing him slants and stuff, it's not, like, exactly his fitting his, his traits. Like, crazy that N Matt Nagy wasn't, like, putting these guys in the right spots. Okay. LA Rams uh, down to the Miami Dolphins. Speaking of uncertain situations that we can't wrap our head around, uh, a Tua plus Tyreek plus Jalen Waddle plus Mike McDaniel offense is what, Jared? Well, I don't know, but I'm going to give you the, the Jalen Waddle stat here. Um, <laughs> rookie record for Jalen Waddle, 104 catches last year. Also saw the fourth most targets from a rookie since targets started getting tracked in 1992. So that that's one of the big questions here. You know, what happens to Waddle's volume now that Tyreek Hill's in town? Yeah, I haven't projected for 86 receptions and I factoring a little bit of like injury risk just in general mm -hmm. with all these players. And that's just shy of Tyreek Hill. I think you can make an argument argument that Jalen Waddle can outplay Tyreek Hill. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I've not been clicking the button uh, because I just don't see that much upside with Tua, but I mean, his skill guys are pretty damn good. So um, yeah, I, I don't know what to do, Jalen, to do with Jalen Wallace because I don't want to be betting on this offense, but I know that the dude could play. Yeah. He's going as wide receiver 18, Jared. And 
since now underdog starts doing drafts, what in February for the 2022 season. Yep. And then we carry that ADP on since it's not super flex since it's single quarterback um, on throughout the entire summer. Like those drafts started prior to Tyreek being traded to Miami. So like, and this is something I keep going back to and you can tell me if I'm stupid, Jared, but I think it's really difficult for us to get so amped about Jalen Waddle when he's the only wide receiver there and drafting him as if he's the only one. And then yeah. it coming back down to earth of where he should be coming and going in, in drafts, even though it's like late July. Does that make sense? No, it totally does. Cause I, I, I think Waddle's just been creeping down ADP all, all summer. I, I think he was even like up in like wide receiver 13, 14 range a couple months ago. I have him uh wide receiver 19 in half PPR. Yeah. So I think he's like fairly priced right now. And it's not like an indictment on his talent at all, because I think no. we all believe that Jalen Waddle yep. is an outstanding player. And I can't wait to see him do a little bit more than he did last year, hopefully, in that, like, put his head down and really stride out. Because at Alabama, that's when he was truly special, is creating big plays and not just the RPO slant king like Tua forces him to be. So, yeah. I mean, I, ju- I just I think Tyreek Hill is still a top five wide receiver in the NFL. Yeah. So it's a big leap to think that, you know, Waddle's going to out target him this season. Minnesota Vikings. My guy, Kirk Cousins. I mean, we should oh, yeah. see a little bit of change, right, Jared? Isn't that like just going from Mike Zimmer to Kevin O'Connell? Like from a top-down approach, it's all going to be different now. We just talked about this on our divisional preview pod. We did the NFC North this morning. Um, the, the Vikings just weren't as run-heavy as people think they were. They were like middle of the pack in pass rate last year. They were 11th in – and th- this isn't in the article. Um, but th- uh, they were 11th in pass attempts last year. So I think they might throw a bit more. But I do think this narrative that Minnesota is going to throw it a ton more is kind of, you know, hmm. stretched too far. Um, but, I, but I do like Kirk Cousins. This is my note here. One of four quarterbacks, along with Brady, Rodgers, and Josh Allen, to rank top 12 in both fantasy points and PF passing, PFF passing grade each of the last two seasons. I just think Cousins is underrated in, in real life and in fantasy football. Completely agree. I have him top eight in passing yards and passing touchdowns. And I mean, you can you can get funky with these projections and get ludicrous with Justin Jefferson, man. Like <laughs> oh, if yeah. you start creeping up with like Adam Thielen missing time and stuff, or uh, if like they go full blown like Rams 2020, 2021, like you can you can see Justin Jefferson like copy pasting Cooper Cup stats. Well, you yep. mentioned 2020 Rams. I mean, it makes sense that they would run a ton of 11 personnel, like 90% of it, uh, based on the lack of tight ends they have on the roster. And I just noticed this because these ADPs are always changing on underdog. Derek Carr is now the quarterback 13. Aaron Rodgers has tacked down one spot as quarterback 14. And Jerry, let me know if you agree with this. I think there's like a cliff after Kirk Cousins because it's that Justin Fields, Tua, and I'm actually probably taking Trevor Lawrence above both of those names. But I think there's like a clear line that i'm willing to cross in terms of you know full-on adp differences from what 113 down to 140 where trevor lawrence is going i guess it's here break in terms of like safety like proven guys like i think cousins is a safe bet i don't think he has a massive ceiling but i think he's a safe bet to finish you know right around quarterback 10 to 12 i do i do like lawrence i'm with you um as i said i'm in on the jags and then field still intrigues me too in that range just just because of the rushing ability all right, we were on Damian Harris last season. Uh, ever since I think our first show this year, I've been on Ramondre Stevenson. And you want to talk about the New England Patriots rushing attack as we head into 2022. Yeah, I recycle this stat like every year because it always amazes me. The Patriots have finished top 12 in rushing touchdowns in 18 straight seasons now. They've been top six in rushing touchdowns in 13 of those 18 seasons. Yeah, I mean, this is just, I mean, that's <laughs> absurd. Like, that is, like, just completely mind-blowing. I think that I'm still projecting Damian Harris to uh, out, 
outpaced Ramondre Stevenson. I'm not sure if that's like a bold take, but it seems like with the momentum Ramondre is getting that, like some people actually think that's going to be the case. But uh, Damian, I project for 8.8 rushing touchdowns, Ramondre 5.2. If an injury happens to either one of them, I think we can be talk, looking at like a top 18-ish running back in, in fantasy. And uh, they've been discounted. I think that Damian Harris's ADPs dropped to a, a point where I'm going to be buying. It's tough. It's really tough because Ramondre in just in terms of big plays created, like Damien was really good at it, but Ramondre was special. Like if we're talking 10 plus yard runs, 20 plus yard catch, only three players were over 15%. It was Nick Chubb, it was Rashad Penny, and it was Ramondre Stevenson. I mean, 22 of those big gains and 147 touches. But as you outlined, like it's the carries, it's the high value carries, right? Yeah. And Damien Harris, while he had that fumble against the what Miami Dolphins to lose them that game, he really did nothing wrong to lose those opportunities. So, yeah. and I think it is conceivable for Ramondre just to be better overall, but I don't know if he's just going to take it over from week one or week seven or week 13, that inside the 10 opportunities that Damon Harris really owned for the majority when he was healthy last season. Yeah. I think they're both excellent runners. Um, yep. I, I have Harris, I have Harris projected to, to beat Stevenson and carries pretty handily. I think what makes Stevenson interesting is I, do think he has some pass catching upside. He did it in college. Yep. Um, it was a limited sample last year, but he was pretty good when he did get a chance in the passing game. So I just, I just think he has that chance to, you know, get 180 carries and then also, you know, maybe get 30 or 40 targets. And we so had a go ahead real quick. We had a report just on James White. He's still walking with the limp. I think that there's like a reasonable chance that he retires. I think that he's yep. uh, basically a near lock to open the season on pup. So I'm not sure who it's going to be. Initially it was like JJ Taylor, like in mini camp, but reminder Stevenson has a path there. I I'm just wondering if they just like keep throwing the ball to their wide receivers and that we're under projecting all of them. Okay. The new Orleans saints have something in common with the Houston Texans, which might be dangerous. Uh, in Jared's column, they only have one nugget. I think we didn't know enough about the saints. Uh, when I did this back in March for me to <laughs> have nuggets on anyone else. Um, yeah. Alvin Kamara coming off, career lows in yards per carry catches per game and receiving yards per game also received his lowest PFF rushing and receiving grades of his career. So um, worrisome. I'm not sure. I believe that he's, you know, hitting the wall. Um, but, but last year was not good for Camara. I think you make a pretty good argument that like, they're not going to have to force feed the ball to Alvin Kamara nearly as much because their wide receiver depth is just so much better. Uh, their offensive line probably looks a little bit worse than it has in the path. Not that it's bad by any means. And I'm wondering if Jameis Winston's like not going to be the type to throw the ball to the running backs as often. So I'm I'm pretty confident we've seen the the best of Alvin Kamara already. But at the same time, like when he is out there, like he still projects like a top eight running back. And right now, like the big thing for Alvin Kamara is like is the projections on how many games played. Yep. Right now, it seems like the momentum is building that this is going to get pushed into next year. There's going to be a little bit of injury risk if something happens to this video. But right now, I think in like at the like late round three. I think oh, yeah. the reward is worth the risk uh, at this point. Yeah, he's going right after James Conner now as a running back 15 and just ahead of Travis Etienne, Ezekiel Elliott, yeah. some of those names. Um, it, to me, it's clear. Like, they continue to build with their identity and just trying to replace Tron Armstead with Trevor Penning. Who knows how that's going to go? But at the very least, they understand, like, the core that what they built since Drew Brees and even with him is that front five blockers, and that can only help the running back, obviously. Okay. New Orleans Saints down, New York Giants up next. In comes Brian Dayball. You have two, and it's all about our boy Kadarius Tony. Let's do it, Jared. Let's do it. Oh, yeah. So, Tony, one of eight rookies to average two plus yards per route run over the past, past five seasons. The other seven rookies that did it Justin Jefferson, 
Jamar Chase, A.J. Brown, Hunter Renfro, interesting, uh, Debo Samuel, Terry McLaurin, and Chris Godwin. So pretty nice company for Tony to be in there. And then the other one on Tony, you know, we didn't see him a whole lot last year because of the injuries he dealt with, but he played 50-plus percent of the Giants' offensive snaps in, in seven games last season. He averaged 7.8 targets on a 21% target share in those seven games. If he can you know, hit those marks this season, he's going to pretty easily beat his ADP. If you remove uh, the games after his high ankle sprain, you're looking at like eighth overall in yards per run versus man coverage. Like a potentially like a special, special, special player. I haven't projected as my wide receiver 30. I can fudge with these numbers even just a little bit and get him up to like top 15, top 20. So I think Kadarius Tony, like, yeah, it's a boom bust selection. But man, like the boom potential here is like so obvious. I mean, look at those names that you just listed. I mean, it's, yep. it's significant. Wide receiver 35 for me. Yeah, he's moved up 25 spots since our video at the start of this offseason, Hayden. Uh, we're in. I mean, just a special player. It's all eye test, obviously. Not all of it, because you've outlined how good he is just in the small sample, but the tiniest sample of all time for us to get excited about a second-year wide receiver. <laughs> but it's not fair to do, like, the downfield threat and the separate on the outside and the slot player in a Brian Dayball offense. But, like, man, they're going to be more aggressive at the very least because they have two capable offensive tackles, if not good offensive tackles now. And the whole offense just with Freddie freaking kitchens and Jason <laughs> Garrett, like give me a break. And Tony, we know can win anywhere and just moves differently than everyone else. And even again, he's moved up 25 spots. Give me, give it. How to could me. this go wrong? How could it go wrong? <laughs> I'm also I mean, in Galladay. How are you with Kenny Galladay, Jared? I like him. I, I'm in on the giants, giants and Jags to me, easily the two big, biggest coaching upgrades this off season. Yep. I mean, I can easily see a range of outcomes where it's Tony as the top wide receiver and, or Galladay as that outcome, too. Um, it's all about those deep sh shots and targets for, for Galladay because he just didn't get him last year. Okay. New York Giants down. New York Jets up next. Yeah, it wasn't good for Zach Wilson last year. So 17 rookie quarterbacks have recorded 300-plus dropbacks over the past five seasons. Wilson ranks bottom four among those 17 in completion rate, yards per attempt, adjusted yards per attempt, passer rating, and PFF passing grade. He sucked. Like, it, <laughs> And it's really hard to do these projections, man. Like, I love Elijah Moore, and I'm struggling to, like, find that, like, projection upside because I think that Garrett Wilson and Corey Davis are reasonable enough. This is a, I'm not sure where you have him projecting, like, pace and stuff like that, but just in general, this is not, like, a fantasy-friendly uh, offense, two wide receivers, two running backs. This is a team that uses a fullback. So all of a sudden, if there's any type of rotation. Braxton Berrios, I don't know why they gave him like $6 million, but that's like low-end starter money, and I think that's enough to like give him a little bit of projection. You start doing these things, I'm like, how is this going to work out for this damn Jets? And like, when in doubt, I'm going to be fading the damn New York Jets. I think the Jets are the most difficult team to post about on Twitter because then their fans get really in their feelings immediately <laughs> when talking about Zach Wilson. Um, now the facts are that even in the best game they keep bringing up, he was 19 of 33 for 234 and a touchdown against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I do want to say as a whole one, hopefully the offensive line is better um, Two, hopefully Zach Wilson, you know, the game slows down for him, which is possible, but Matt LaFleur, Mike LaFleur, these LaFleur brothers can coach <laughs> like the jets and all the creativity that they had last season, I'm really in. I'm really in on it. And um, as you said, it's so easy to say just he sucked. And hopefully there is some a year to jump. But you have to like look between the lines. And it's kind of really blurred to really see the positivity. Because really where he was most comfortable, as you guys know, was all the outsider structure stuff. And uh, that's stuff to translate on a week-to-week -week basis. 
It doesn't sound like he had a good spring either, based on a lot of the stuff I've well, read. It sounded like he did have a good spring. Yeah, just, <laughs> yeah, just yeah. off the field. All right. I walked in. Okay. <laughs> New York Jets. Uh, Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, this is a, as you're about to outline here, yeah. tale of two halves a little bit for their season under uh, the coaching staff that we're going to see in year two for the second time. Yeah, I've never seen a, a, a switch in offensive philosophy like this during a season. So uh, first six weeks of the season, season, the Eagles were 10th in pass rate and 5th in situation neutral pass rate. From week seven on, they were dead last in pass rate and 29th in neutral pass rate. They were they were better when they went run heavy, but then they go out and trade for A.J. Brown this offseason. So, you know, what is I, I don't know. What do you guys think this offense is going to look like this, this year? Yeah, we, we've talked about it a lot. I think from the top down, ownership even they want to be a pass first team and the aj brown trade indicates that but that's also why they try to even though to the best of their ability they know where their talents lined up i think you'll see a shift more quickly if it doesn't work out for jalen hurts mm-hmm. but at the end of the day this is also why they're lining up so many picks as our 10 other clubs for the 2023 draft as well so if jalen hurts isn't the guy like again at their core they want to be pass first and i think they're going to open that way it might not be you know top five and neutral pass rate but it could be you yeah. know top eight top 10, but at the very least, they know they can win in different ways too. I have them bottom five in like total pass attempts. Um, that is, that's also because I think that the Eagles team is just good in general and they might be playing with leads and stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's just like how much faith do you put in Jalen hurts the passer? And there was some like pretty skeptical reports about how he's developing. Um, I want to be betting on Jalen hurts and fantasy though. Cause like I was doing the projections and even with those bottom five and pass attempts, Jalen hurts yeah. is still the, the QB six. So I think this is like an offense where I'm going to be doing Jalen hurts plus only one of the receivers. I'm not sure if I want to be getting into the double dipping of the pass catchers. You can pick Goddard, Vonta Smith, uh, AJ Brown doesn't really matter to me. I think all three of them are good. And I think I'm just going to be doing it with one of them just because I think the passing volume is going to be remain a relative concern. Quick, Jared, we talked about this in the quarterback show too, where Jalen Hurts really had like a soft spot for the right side of the field and the rest was almost invisible, especially the middle of the field. We know A.J. Brown, like he thrives in those middle of the field targets where he can catch and run because he's a ludicrous athlete. So at the very least, hopefully this opens up a little bit more of a full field vision and and capabilities for Jalen Hurts. But again, that's just a that's a huge question. Yeah, and it's going to be tough for all those Eagles to, to pay off their ADPs unless they do go at least something closer to what they were over those first six games of the season. Pittsburgh Steelers, new quarterbacks, Mitch Trubisky and Kenny Pickett. But let's talk about one of my favorite second-year players and Pat Fryermuth. Yeah, 9.5 PPR points per game last season, which isn't a huge number, but fourth most by a rookie tight end over the past 10 seasons. It's just a position we see, you know, first-year guys tend to struggle, and uh, Frymuth is really good as a rookie, so that's promising going forward. I have concerns about the offense in general, but, you know, like if you're talking dynasty, I would definitely be betting on Pat Frymuth. Yeah, Frymuth's a total stud. This is, like, I think one of the toughest teams to do projections for because I don't know how – crazy this offense is going to look and then like i think that you can make an argument like that george pickens has some upside chase claypool is like super boom bust i think you make an argument that deontay johnson is a little bit boom bust just because we don't know how he's going to look with a quarterback that isn't like tailor-made for him and then pat firemuth if he gets the full-time role i think that he projects pretty well so i think this is just like trust your if you have a a guy on this offense that you just believe is better than what the market thinks i would chase him i don't think that any of the projections are going to should be very confident uh, for any of these guys, really. Yeah, I know he's going as a tight end 12 or tight end 13. He's still fit in you know, our parameters of the tight end sleepers because he's going outside the start of the 10th round. He was one of my names in 
Jared, I mean, Pat Firemuth had the same number of red zone targets as Justin Jefferson, more than DK yeah. Metcalf, Mike Williams, Mike Evans, like all these really, really good players. And just hopefully we see an even bigger jump in year two. He's good. He's really good at the game. I, I was going to say, we'd be more, we would have been more excited about him last year if it wasn't for Kyle Pitts being in the yep. same draft class. Yep. 100%. Okay. Uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, now San Francisco 49ers. Um, give it to us because there's a lot of different ways we can attack this 49ers offseason. Well, I'm going to go with a stat that I think is like pro Trey Lance, and it's that the 49ers have ranked top 14 in yards per pass attempt in all five seasons under head coach Kyle Shanahan, and they've been top nine in three of those five. Uh, they have a pair of second-place finishes, and that's with – these quarterbacks, Jimmy Garoppolo, C.J. Beathard, Brian Hoyer, and Nick Mullins. So I think Shanahan just deserves credit for his scheme. You know, having Debo and Kittle and now Ayuk, that helps too. They're all good run after catch guys. So, like, I just think Lance needs to be decent as a passer, and, and he'll put up nice numbers, obviously, with the rushing stuff tacked on top of it. Yeah, I have Trey Lance uh, with a 7.6 projected yards per attempt, which is definitely above average. And that's like not because I think like Trey Lance is going to go out there and just start shredding. It's just like the scheme yep. is just so, so damn good. And I have Trey Lance projected for seventh in points per game. You can make, I'll let you guys decide how many games he's going to start. But if you're looking at the per game projections, I don't see how his projection looks like uh, very dissimilar to like Jalen Hurts. You might be wondering where y'all can read. All of these wonderful, some might call them tidbits. Well, the column is linked in the description down below. It was so fantastic of a column that we had to get Jared on the show for it. Should have mentioned that more than just at the start of the show, but hopefully you all do check it out. Okay, a few more teams left. We're going over the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, did not go into the veteran quarterback market outside of Drew Locke. So we know that DK Metcalf is still being drafted around what the wide receiver 2022 20, range uh, but man, Tyler Lockett still falls like an anchor right now. Yeah, like what do we do with these Seahawks wide receivers? Because I think everyone agrees that you know DK Metcalf is what a top ten talent and you know might still be ascending. Tyler Lockett's still really good too. Two point three five yards per route run last season. That was a career high. It was ninth best among eighty nine qualifying wideouts. So, man, I, I I have trouble passing on those Seahawks wide receivers where they go in drafts. I know the quarterback situation is going to be crappy, but I I still just think they're good enough to pay off at you know what are definitely deflated price tags i think you make an argument that the like week 17 correlation talk has a specifically hurt metcalf and Lockett because they're playing the jets and there's not that many jets that go ahead of these two so there's like no reason to be picking these players instead of like the bring back options on like the Bengals and the bills and those teams uh and i think there's still a slight chance that jimmy g gets cut and then ultimately signs with Seattle. That'd be a good scheme fit. Obviously, the weapons around them are, are pretty quality there, too. So I'm hoping that is what happens. But at the same time, if I'm hoping Jimmy G is going to save these guys, it <laughs> right. means the projections aren't looking that great. So I, I, I'm, I'm buying at cost, and I've been a little bit, yeah. unfortunately, high on these guys throughout the offseason. It still is amazing, as Jared did, to look at like the individual success of what Tyra Lockett's done over the last few years with and without Russell Wilson, and then see him at wide receiver 47, like scratch your head a little bit and be like, are we just overreacting to this entire bad perceived offseason that the Seahawks could have? Because yeah, he's just awesome. He's so much fun. And I just hopefully someone can hit some of those moonshots because that connection that those two had was unbelievable. Okay, three more. Tampa Bay, Buck. Aneers, uh, no more Bruce Arians, but I know this is a Bruce Arians slash Byron Leftwich comment because yep. we know Leftwich took over the play calling last season. 
Yeah, Bruce Aaron's offense finished uh, top six in pass attempts in five straight seasons. That includes um, all three with Tampa Bay. Lethwich was in charge of that offense the past couple of years. Um, but it, it's tough because you have no Rob Gronkowski, we think. You have Chris Godwin out for probably the start of the season. Antonio Brown is gone now. So I, I do think we could see Tampa lean a bit more towards the run, but I still think it's a team that you know probably finishes top five in pass rate. Russell Where did Gage. Russell Russell Gage? I mean, I have I have Russell Gage projected fairly well. Um, I have Mike Evans projected extremely well. Jared, am I too crazy? Like I have him as like the wide receiver seven in projections. Is that is that too too high, you think? Uh, no, I think I have him. Let's see. I have Mike Evans, wide receiver six. And I think I th- I think it's not outlandish to say he could finish as the wide receiver one. Yep. Yes. Like if he just gets that, you know, 28%. Because his target share is that he's been sub 20% target share the past couple of years. You yeah, know, he, he, could be, he could be high 20s this year. Yeah, I haven't projected for 20% target share only uh, assuming that Chris Godwin like misses only a couple games this year, yep. but that's like only like a 7% touchdown rate. I mean, you can you can start fudging these numbers and these projections, give him like a 9.5, which is like not that crazy for Tom Brady and Mike Evans, and all of a sudden he has like 14 touchdowns and yeah. No one even wants to bite on my Russell Gage hook. Okay. <laughs> Tennessee Bye. Titans. Uh, let's talk about Derrick Henry because <laughs> even though Derrick Henry, if he had played the full season last year, uh, might be going as the 101 because man, he was unbelievable. But still, we get him at the running back four, the eighth overall selection right now, Jared. Yeah, and obviously, massive rushing production for Henry before he got hurt last year. But the other thing I think has flown under the radar a bit is he set career highs in targets per game and target share. Now, it, it was only two and a half targets per game and a seven and a half percent target share. So those aren't great numbers. But, it, but it's something. And you know, if, he, if he can stay at that level, and I think he could because you have A.J. Brown gone now. We'll see about Traylon Burks with his conditioning. Robert Woods coming off the ACL. So if, if Henry can just get those numbers again, you know that, that can definitely help raise his weekly floor. Yeah, I have uh, Derrick Henry with 95 rushing yards per game in like the last three seasons. He, he was all the way up to 115. And even with that decrease, just because I don't think the offense is going to be good, I'm a little bit worried about how much he can handle uh, the yards per carry, all that stuff. He still projects for the second most rushing yards. So, like, I'm regressing it as much as I can, but like, you can't not give him 20 carries per game. I have no idea what to think of the Titans heading into this year. Like, I was down on them, obviously, heading into the playoffs, even though they're like the, the number one seed in the AFC. Mm-hmm. And when they're underdogs at home, Mike Vrabel's basically a monster and he has that team rally behind him. And then now I feel like I'm negative about them. And like, should I be positive about one? you know, perceived talent. Should it be Robert Woods? Should it be Traylon Burke? Should it be Derrick Henry? So on and so forth. But uh, Austin Hooper. Yeah, don't make us look like idiots again because the Titans always make us look like idiots because they're boring, but they're good. I'm nervous. I'm nervous. I'm I'm nervous too. I'm nervous, but it always happens this way. What? They were 14 and three last year or whatever. Something (laughs) like that. It was crazy. Okay. Washington Commanders, let's close it out this way. Your one and only blurb. Is about Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick, and this backfield. Yeah, and for a while it looked like there'd be no McKissick for Gibson to worry about, but that that's not going to happen this year. So, in the five games without McKissick last season, Gibson averaged four point four targets per game on a fifteen percent target share. With Gibson, just two point seven targets per game on an eight percent target share. So, you know, I think Gibson's pass catching upside is is capped as long as McKissick is healthy. And then we also have to worry about Brian Robinson now. Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm going to be buying fully into the Brian Robinson thing. I was like, Nate Tice made mm. a good point on this, where we're talking about a player that was changing positions from a prospect to the NFL. This is the year three. He has made some improvements from year one to year two. It hasn't translated in the receiving game. Like 
uh, Jared mentioned there. Um, but I do think that he has some skills uh, between the tackles enough where I think that the ADP has fallen into a range where I think uh, it's totally fine there. And I think that he deserves like a little bit of year three appeal. Like we used to like look for the year three guys, but like uh, because we're always on our phone, we we have no patience anymore uh, because we're watching TikToks all day long that we can't even wait for the year three breakout. So I think I, I'm with you. The projections don't make all that sense, but I think that there's at least a path where Brian or uh, uh, Antonio Gibson uh, projects as like a, a running back to still. So is this a scenario, Hayden, where you say he's the most overrated running back in the NFL and then he drops and then his ADP drops. That's how it works, baby. <laughs> yeah, he, he also he also played like all of last year with a stress fracture in his shin. Yes, like that that had to that had to play a, play a, play a factor. Th- this might not come to fruition at all, and maybe the coaching is just outstanding. But like on paper, Washington's offensive line potentially even got worse from last season, where they were really good despite not having like any name brand players. So I'm a little bit nervous. Like, what if the blocking goes down? But this is a pro Scott Turner show podcast, whatever you want to call it. Um, I will say. If Antonio Gibson doesn't get rid of those fumbles, man, like Ron Rivera is one of those old school coaches who like will yeah. take opportunities away just because you lose the damn ball. So. Yep, agree. All right, Jared, this has been tremendous. All of you, I mean, what an audience we've had for this entire thing. It's because the content that Jared put out was outstanding. It's not just this column that you spend your whole year doing, Jared. You do plenty of other great work. <laughs> Tell the people how yep. they can find the rest of your stuff. That's it for me for the whole year. That count. <laughs> You're retired. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Check out the Draft Sharks podcast. Check out the Draft Sharks YouTube channel. And then, if you are interested in becoming a Draft Sharks insider, that'll get you access to you know the projections that all these tidbits kind of fuel. Um, then we have our Draft War Room where it takes those projections, it applies them to your league scoring system to give you you know customized rankings. You can sync up the Draft War Room to Underdog, so you can draft an Underdog. And the players come off the rankings automatically. You don't got to be clicking Let's around. Go. It happens automatically. So that's it's, it's oh, awesome. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. he has a best ball. There was a series that I was listening to earlier on this offseason just talking about best ball and projections and all that stuff, too. So they have specific stuff for best ball. And uh, that those companies that are doing specific best ball content, that's like what our users should be go, going out and chasing. And Draft Sharks is bringing that. Okay. You can find all of those links in the description down below from this individual column. Again, that was the foundation for the show. Hayden, thank you. Jared, more importantly, thank you. All of you appreciate the well wishes, the congratulations. It's a beautiful time in our lives and that hot, hot best ball summer. All right. Thanks for tuning in up the villa. We will talk to y'all soon. See ya. (laughs) 